Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome uh, to the Inquirer's class uh, this morning. If it's your first time with us, so glad uh, you've decided to join us today. Uh, these, each lesson kind of stands on its own for the most part, although there is a sort of progression that makes more sense if you kind of come around. It's totally fine if you're just dropping in. Um, and uh, we're so delighted you're here uh, if you are visiting. Um, I have a, uh, usually I pull in a colic to open us in prayer. And that's just a, a fancy word for a short prayer that collects thoughts. Um, and the colic that I'm going to read today to open us in prayer is the colic for Trinity Sunday, uh, which usually falls in the late spring. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given, a, given to us your servant's grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, today's lesson uh, uh, is on the nature of God, which is why I chose the, the collect for Trinity. And Brandon Bennett's going to be our teacher. If you don't know Brandon, he's our young adult and uh, college minister. He and I work closely um, on all, all manner of things. He assists me at the 5 o'clock worship service. If you've never been there, we're moving to the nave this Sunday, which I'm really excited about. Um, and uh, he, ha- he and I have had a ton of conversations recently about the nature of God and the Trinity. So when I was putting together the series for this fall, I thought no better person than to ask to teach on the Trinity. Because so many people are intimidated by the topic, but Brandon is not. Sucker for punishment. Uh, Let me hand off the uh, microphone to you here. Thanks. And it's recording? Yeah. That's the wrong device. There you go. Okay. It's on hold. Okay. Well, uh, hi, guys. Uh... Yeah, again, my name is Brandon Bennett, and I'm young adult and college minister. I'm the Robin to his Batman. It's uh, <laughs> the best way I know how to put it. So, well, so this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately, the Trinity. So I'm, I'm moving over here really quickly because I want this to be a participatory time for just a second. Um, so I put up this humorous slide for you who can't read it. It says, single God, non-smoker seeks attractive creation with good sense of humor. Um, That uh, is a a humorous little thing I found in a book on the Trinity. Um, And we'll talk about that in just a second. I think it's funny, but it gets at something, our our preconceived notions of God. So, participatory time. I want us to describe God. So, you know, who is God? What is God? And I want to make a list. Attributes, sure. What? He's all powerful. Okay. So God is all powerful. What else? All knowing. All knowing. Okay. He's holy. This is always so dangerous because somebody could throw you off. Here. Okay. Eternal. Merciful. 
Alright, I'm gonna write that up there. Gotta watch Wilson. Okay, what else? Anything else come to mind? Lo love. Okay. Good. Creator. He's creator. All right. Wrath. All right, so we've begun to describe God here. Well, it was... Man, there's no good place to stand. Um, a couple of you guys started to throw off the list because it's interesting that these were all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, eternal, creator, wrath, just. Um, well, it's interesting that we think of these when it comes to God, but actually, this could be an all-powerful demon, right? Um, and it's interesting that a couple people pulled out <clears throat> his mercy and his love. Um, and I think what happens is, well, we tend to think of God not as three persons united in love, but as, cannot stand anywhere comfortably, um, not three persons united in love, but as one single God, one single God who stands remote from us. Um, let's go on. To the next slide. So I put this picture up. <clears throat> this is a. Uh, oh, awesome! So here's a feudal lord with his subjects. I think we, t a lot of us, when we hear the name God in the West, we tend to think of this God who sits on his throne, who's remote from us. He's one single person, and he, you know, he's demanding something from us, right? Um. So, so we have the, the idea of a feudal lord who sits remote from his creation and he's demanding something from us. So what I want us to do is, uh, basically for most of the time, talk about standard American religion, what we all tend to hold, however Christian or not Christian we might be, the God that tends to come into our mind. Um, and then at the end, I want us to compare Ephesians to that. So I wrote this verse up on the board, Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Well, when we hear that, right, we, we can easily read this verse and think, oh, that is God, the single God who stands remote from his creation, and he is a glory hoarder. He will not share his glory with another. So God, the glory hoarder. We're going to revisit this in just a second. <clears throat> Sorry, what? <laughs> um, all right, so I want us to compare and discuss this moralistic therapeutic deism. So a lot of you, if you are at the Advent, you will hear this discussed a lot. Cameron introduced us to it last week. Oh, good. Okay, so Cameron introduced you to moralistic therapeutic deism last week. And so what I want us to do is to um, kind of enter in here and discuss the particular God this is describing. So Cameron, I don't know exactly what he said, but when we read this, we can easily say, oh, well, it means uh, American religion is law-keeping, it's what you have to do. Um, 
But I want us to press into it just a bit more and, and look at uh, who this particular God is. So, <clears throat> so number one, we have a God who... I'm going to stand over here. Number one, a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. All right, so what do we have so far based on these two descriptions of God? We have one, what, a creator. A God exists, he created, and he orders the world. He watches over it. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Uh, we can skip three. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So let's describe this God. Who is this God? He's the principle, okay? He's distant. He's what? Phone a friend. Yeah, so you only call on him when you need him. All right, so he's creator, he's distant. Um, how do we relate to this God? Wilson's not allowed to know. Right. Um, so, uh, maybe what's kind of the problem here? So this is trying to address a problem because he wants us to be good, nice, and fair to each other. So kind of what, is there a problem with us or with the world? And what is that? God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be happy. So he's, he's basically a big therapist. Um, uh, and the way we relate to God is, um, well, it's basically keeping the law. So I do want us to see that um, whenever we move into sort of law-keeping religion, we're already beginning, already, we're beginning to talk about a totally different God. So <clears throat> it was interesting. I was uh, having coffee with an atheist high school student back in May or June, and uh, I pulled these five points out from moralistic therapeutic deism, and he said, well, that's Christianity. So I want us to recognize that most people in the West and in America, when they hear this, they think this is the Christian God. But actually, I would argue, uh, he has no resemblance to the Christian God whatsoever, right? Because this God could be all-powerful, he could be all-knowing, he could be eternal, but he actually could be an all-powerful demon, right? Um, and when movies like God's Not Dead try to defend that God, the Christian should be the first person to stand up and say, that God needs to die. That God needs to die. Um, because he is actually an idol created in our image. This God, when we finally get to him, is nothing but a mirror image of ourselves. He is an all-powerful demon. He is, he is the glory hoarder who is consumed with himself. Right? I am the Lord. I give my glory to no other. 
Any any thoughts on that? Yes. Okay, so again, every one of those statements could be made about humans. The five well, statements? Well, most of the statements could be, you know, several of the statements are attributes that humans have. Right. Some of them. Right. So doesn't this all stem from the fact that God, if, and I'm saying just if, just a, a being that is um, all-knowing, creator of the universe and all things that we don't know, we humans are humans. Mm-hmm. And there's a, if if infinite is here and human is here, that gap is all is really unknowable. And so we project ourselves in that gap. Totally. Yeah. Right. It, because. We have to take some of that on faith. We have to study what, you know, we have to know that sin comes into that as we project on that gap. And it's just, you know, we're different. God is God. We are not. <laughs> right. That That is, uh, that is a un, you know, that that is not a continuous, you know, line. There's a disconnect. Yeah, so, no, I'm cutting you off. And so that's why all this stuff gets put on. You know, we don't know some as We don't know a lot. Right. But we are, you know, that's why I think the Holy Spirit has to act in us. Right. And that's why we had to have, that's why it has to be, a, you know, the nature of Jesus and the nature of the Spirit and, and God. And it it kind of works together to distinguish that we are not God and we will we don't behave in any way, shape, or form, and that's why, that's the whole reason we need the other, we need God. Right. And the message through Jesus and through the Spirit, it all works together to fill that gap more. Right, so I had a slide in just a second. I want to maybe go back to that in just a second, because I think you're hitting on something that I, I want to get to. Um, let me let me revisit that in just a second, like in two seconds. Okay. Um, in fact, it may be the next slide. No, one more after this. So I does ev- is everyone does everyone have a, a handout? Could well I tell you what. Oh, thanks. Does anyone need a handout? I have one left. There you go. <coughs> oh, okay. Anybody else? We good? Okay. Um. Alright, so I want us to, uh, to read, to read this, uh, top paragraph on, on this page that I copied. Um, it's from the book called, uh, Can These Bones Live? A Theology and Outline. Alright, so the top paragraph. Now, if the God depicted in the Old Testament, the God who starts up a history with a particular tribal chief, he's talking about Abraham, If he is the God that actually is, then we have already come to a major theological claim. This God does not ride serenely above the historical reality of the temporal world. So he's saying this God in the Bible does not ride up here remote from the world, as does the God imagined by Western modernity. So our particular religion, modernity's particular religion, uh, often called deism, believes in God, but thinks that God must be immune to and uninvolved with the vicissitudes, happenings, 
and contingent chances that make up our history and time. The God depicted in the Old Testament does not ride serenely above the happenings of the temporal world. Israel's God lives the history of this world together with us. And that means he has to live by and with the particularities and singularities of history. He has to enter history the same way that anyone enters history, by taking a particular place and doing particular things. And he does that the way anyone does, by identifying himself with a particular cause or people or movement, in fact, Israel. Did you all get what he was distinguishing there? Um, so again, to go back to uh, what we were describing, our particular religion, I want us to assume, we need to sort of um, realize that uh, to be a Christian is actually to be uh, in the minority, right? Uh, what people out there talk about as God is not actually the Christian God. Um, so he's saying here, that our particular religion in America and in Europe uh, since the 1700s is a particular religion, and it's actually not Christianity. This particular religion over here, modernity's religion, is called deism. This God rides remote, above the clouds. He stands far off from us. Um, but he says, the God of Israel... He actually enters into history with Israel, with his people. So this is, I want us to see how strikingly different this is. The God that most people talk about, a lot of God talk going out there, um, and perhaps even in here, assumes that this God is unknowable, distant, remote from us. And yet the good news of Christianity is that God makes himself known in Jesus Christ, that he actually enters into history, right? I want us to see the difference and appreciate that. Uh, because whether you're religious or non-religious, uh, religious people like to talk about this God, and the non-religious also like to talk about this distant God. The atheist can easily dismiss this God, but we as Christians should say, now let me tell you about the God who comes to you, right? Um, I have one more slide. And this is, I wondered if this is kind of where you might be going. So I have up here, trying to show you what I'm, I'm trying to say less abstractly, so you can see it on paper. Um, so the God we tend to talk about in the West, in America, is this God who is way up here, who is unknowable. We assume that we cannot know God. God is up there, riding serenely above the clouds, and we're down here. And so, you know, Wilson might like to call that particular God Buddha. I might like to call him Jesus. You might like to call him Vishnu. Um, you might like to call him Mother or Father. Um, these are kind of the things, I mean, just go outside the church walls or perhaps even inside the church walls and this is what you'll hear being described. You know, you relate to him this way, I relate to him this way, but basically he's all the same God, right? Because that God is ultimately unknowable, right? He stands remote from us. But I want us to see that this is not the Christian God because... The good news of Jesus Christ is that this particular God of Israel actually enters into history 
and he actually reveals himself to us. The good news is actually that God has made himself known. Right? This <laughs> this stands in stark contrast to Christianity because Western modern religion, the religion out there in Birmingham, Alabama, in America, is against Christian religion because it says that God is unknowable. But the striking difference of Christianity is that it says God has made himself known. So I want to underscore that 50 times. Um, One quote before we move on to to Ephesians. So I, I, before I read this quote, any, I'm just like gliding through this. Are we, any questions, any thoughts? Please raise your hand if you do. Um, so, yes, sir. I mean, I'm curious of uh, your title of the church. You know, what's the title of the group here? The Western Church or something? Western. Go back one slide. You're kind of making this, in my opinion, kind of a mass generalization. Standard American religion. Mm -hmm. Like, I think what you're proposing here, and I agree with a lot of the concepts and ideas, but the phone a friend idea, I think you're speaking towards those in America that have resources and have ability to do things that they really only need a phone a friend. Like, I don't know if that really speaks for the entire country from Christian so I mean I think I don't know I think it's a, a pretty large generalization to say America thinks that way right standard American religion. right I'm what I'm so that's why I added the word standard so I'm saying that religion in America the standard religious position that we tend to hold to of course it doesn't mean everybody 100% but the standard religious position in America the prevalent one tends to hold to this particular God. Where to fall back on this? Can you, I mean, can you say there's sociological research on this stuff? Yeah, so, uh, and, and quite frankly, the moralistic therapeutic deism espoused by, or, or not espoused by, but um, that Christian Smith developed in the, to the five points. I mean, this is kind of the same God, right? This is the deist God. This is the one that Robert Jensen was just describing. Modernity's particular religion called deism, he's uninvolved, um, and he's ultimately unknowable, right? Uh, This God doesn't actually name himself or reveal himself. Um, He just stands aloof from us. (coughs) And again, to go back to those attributes... He could be an all-powerful demon. He could be all-knowing, uh, eternal, um, all-powerful, etc. But he stands remote from us. Um, and I want us to appreciate that that is not... <laughs> that's actually not Christian theology. It's not the biblical God. It's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's not the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Um it is a particular religious position, and it is not Christianity. That's what I want us to see. Does that does that kind of answer the yeah, question? I understand the position you're taking. Okay. A different one. Um, no, no, I just... So he's talking I, about the, the, the sweeping statement yeah. is what you're getting at. 
I would well, say God willing, there are many Christians who do believe <coughs> the biblical God. But yeah, exactly. Right. right, and I'm not trying to say like what goes on. Hopefully, what goes on at the Advent, uh, at the nine and the eleven and the five o'clock services, is not this, right? Um, so I don't mean to say that every American holds this position. Did I? Right. But, you know, the, and again, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, that's why the triune God, the three of one, the three dimensions, or, you know, is, is you know, Jesus, through his life, brought it, brought sort of this God's love, you know, God's presence down to him. There is a portion, there's the... You know, if you can't envision 13 billion years ago, you certainly can't envision what came before, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, in my point, that, again, a generalization, there is an unknowable. Because we knew him. I mean, that's the gap between us as humans and as sinners and the, the loving God. I, I guess then that is where the Trinity we're now working our way into saying that God is triune, is gospel. It is good news because the Son has revealed His Father in the Spirit. That's where we're, we're moving. That, um, that is the stark and striking difference of Christianity because God has actually made Himself known. Um, says John 1, right? We have beheld His glory. The glory that was manifest in the temple, the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, now we have seen him. This particular God has actually revealed himself and come to us. This is the good news, the gospel. I do understand, it, uh, you are making a point that there is sin, um, and I think that's where repentance and faith comes in, because we can easily, uh, even as Christians, talk about God and actually be idolatrous, um, actually be projecting sinful things onto him. Um, But the good news is that in spite of that, this particular God has made himself known. And where has he made himself known? He has made himself known in that man who was dead and who now lives to triumph, right? Um, He's not in this middle ground between us and this unknowable divine principle He's not, um, because you see ultimately what happens here, if you begin to tease this out, which we don't have time to, basically what all this means is that uh, the mother, the Jesus, the father, the Buddha, um, these are all sort of um, metaphors for God, and they end up becoming half divine, half human, which again, that's where uh, Christian theology would stand in stark opposition to it, because it actually says that no God himself has made himself known in Jesus. That Jesus is himself God, right? Um, He's not a half God. Um, He has actually descended down to us and revealed himself. Um, Well, so I want us to read this quote by Karl Barth. Um, Just gets me me going. It's powerful. So Karl Barth was a Swiss theologian 
uh, around the time of World War II, and he wrote this in his Romans commentary. He said, What men on this side of the resurrection name God is most characteristically not God. Their God does not redeem his creation, but he allows free course to the unrighteousness of men. He does not declare himself to be God, but he is the complete affirmation of the course of this world and of men as it is. This is intolerable. For in spite of the highest honors we offer him for his adornment, he is in fact no God. I want us to just stop right there. Do you hear that claim that he's making? The highest honors that we can talk about, the highest God that we can talk about, actually the that one that we tend to talk about is actually no God at all. The cry of revolt, so this is atheism, uh, the atheist position against such a God is actually nearer to the truth than is the wisdom with which men attempt to justify him. Only because they have nothing better, only because they lack the courage of despair, do the generality of men avoid falling into blatant atheism. But here's the gospel. But actually, in Christ, God speaks as he is, and he punishes the no-God of all these falsehoods. So Karl Barth is saying, what we tend to call God is actually no God at all. Um, but thank goodness, in Jesus Christ, God himself has taken on all these sinful projections, all these idolatrous positions, um, and he has crucified that, crucified that, and, and shown himself to be the God who is three persons united in love. God who is three persons united in love, revealing himself in the cross and the resurrection. Um, so now we have like 10 minutes. Um, and I wanted, us, I wanted us to just look through a couple of passages. Um, and again, I want us to say this middle bullet point right here. Um, when I as a preacher or when Matt as a preacher proclaims Jesus, which is what we ought to do, in the church, um, because my calling is to make sure that the gospel gets spoken. Uh, that means we must proclaim Jesus. That is in and of itself proclaiming the Trinity, because who is Jesus? He is the Spirit-anointed Son who reveals his Father. And again, that pushes against this, um, this unknowable God that we tend to talk about, because the good news is that the Father has revealed himself in the Son, and by the Spirit. Uh, and and just, I, I feel like we're talking in abstraction, but I, I want us to see that when we, if some of you just left the 9 o'clock service or about to go into the 11 a.m. service, um, ask yourself, why, why do we call upon God as our Father in the Lord's Prayer? The liturgy teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Apart from the triune God, we could not pray that. The God, the God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ lets us in on his love such that now in the Son, we can call upon him as my Father, our Father, right? He is the Father of Jesus, and so now in Jesus, we can call upon him as Father, right? And what is the gospel? What is the justification of the ungodly, the good news? 
the declaration that you are righteous, it is that all of us here now find our identity in the Son. Do you see that like we're letting that the Spirit has led us in on that conversation between the Father and the Son? The good news that we hear is from the Father, you are my child whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And now we can return that conversation. Our Father, who art in heaven. Dot, 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 dot. The God of Western modernity could not, could not happen. Uh, and and the, the atheist is right to reject him. Um, so now I think as Christians we can say when we hear an atheist reject him, you're right. Now let me tell you about the God who comes to you. Um, I was reading a Christopher Hitchens, you know, the famous new atheist. Uh, I was reading a quote by him, and he said uh, something to the effect of, I don't want to believe in a God who's a puppet master, yada, yada, yada. Right? Well, actually, Christians should say, I don't believe in that God either. Because we profess the God who is three persons united in love. Um, do we all have, do we have Bibles can we just look at Ephesians really quickly to close? Um, all right, so Ephesians two eleven, uh, or if you have it on your phone, that you know you could follow along. Um, I want us to hear the gospel and how Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians. Um, how what he's describing is a triune thing. It is the Christian life is to be caught up in the triune God. So this is Ephesians 2 verse 11 and we'll read to the end of chapter 2. So he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh, excuse me, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of, com uh, of commandments expressed in ordinances. So he's saying, Gentiles, Jews, in God in Christ has abolished that division, and he has made you as the church now one people in Christ. Um, so that he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. But now listen to the Christian life. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access in one spirit to the Father. This is the Christian life, right? We are caught up in the God who is three persons united in love. In the spirit and with the Son, we pray to the Father. Um, and we hear that good news each and every Sunday. And each Sunday, the liturgy shapes us um, together to live into this identity. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, I could keep talking. I, I feel like maybe uh, we've glided through that really quickly. Do do we have any any thoughts? Um, there's a video I started to play, but I don't know if we have enough time. Do you have something? No, it's five minutes. There's a really good video if you search on Vimeo, Vimeo.com. Search three, two, one, the story of God. Search that and you'll find it. It's a five-minute video that I think is just a phenomenal presentation of the gospel with the Trinity front and center. Um, yeah, so any questions? Um, I know this kind of got abstract, but I hope this presses us to... Um, to begin listening to the religious God talk that is out there and the God talk that we tend to have and the God talk that comes into the movie theater. Um, and perhaps we should begin asking ourselves, well, is that the God of Christianity? And maybe I shouldn't be so quick to, uh, to sign up to, uh, to cheer that you know, defense of God on because maybe what we need to do is to see that God die. Um, did you have something, Wilson? Thank you. I kind of well, partly want to like push on you because obviously the Bible is full of God talking about how He cares about the poor. Yes. Uh, but I guess like in this passage, all right, it's just like a lot more beautiful than that sort of abstract kind of picture of Him just like wanting to praise and stuff. Like, like this is such a, a just striking and just amazing like vision of who He is. Uh, he would sort of come to us and like kind of invite us into like like a, you know like killing the hostility through the cross, preaching peace to us, and mm-hmm. like uniting us through his death and resurrection in one spirit and the Father. Like that's just like a very like just beautiful in a way that like the Lord would have pictured us captured up for it. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And, and thank you in closing. Well, we got two minutes. Um, uh, I, I intentionally put a Bible verse, uh, and attacked it on the board because I also want us to see that we can easily read the Bible and read these modern Western religious notions into the Bible. Um, can I just ask you to read Isaiah 42 on your own? Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Um, that's the passage where it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Um, because when we tend to hear that, we think, oh, that God is the God who is self-consumed. He is a glory hoarder. He wants it all for himself. But actually, in the passage, um, the glory that he will give to no other, the, the only person he gives the glory to in the passage is the servant. And who is the servant? Well, the servant is the Son, is Jesus Christ. So in the context of the passage, um, uh, Isaiah is describing the servant that God will raise up. And God says, I am going to share my glory with no other person other than the servant. So I want us to see that this triune God is the one who shares his life, his love in and of himself. Three persons united in love, 
the Father has always been loving His Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And we as Christians get to be in on that conversation, in on that family, that love, that life. Um, in closing, I have two books that I, I, I want you, I want to encourage you to read it uh, because I think this will be better than my talk. So if you will read it, uh, one of these, please come get this. Tell the titles. I've been asking each teacher to bring in titles if people want to study. So this is James Torrance's Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. And this is Michael Reeves' Delighting in the Trinity, an Introduction to the Christian Faith. So um, I got uh, two books. So two people need to, to be reading something. Uh, yeah. Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. And the Latin and the Trinity, you take it to read. Uh, next time, uh, today was the nature of God. Next time, I'll be teaching, and we're going to talk about human nature. Who are we? Uh, what does that mean, especially with respect to God and Christianity? Uh, um, thank you so much. What do we have to say to Brandon? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. <laughs> you want to close this in prayer? Yes. Father in heaven, we, uh, we praise you for your goodness and grace, and we thank you that um, in Jesus Christ you have made yourself known, and that you let us in on your life of love by your Spirit. Father, I pray now that you would continue to shape us um, as, as your people to live into that identity. Um, Father, I pray that uh, that you would make us to reflect um, to reflect your love more and more uh, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.